The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. But we've been moving along, for those of you who've been following along, uh, with these talks on the Buddha's 16 instructions for mindfulness of breathing. One of the most complete meditation, set of meditation instructions that the Buddha gave, and even after, as the stories go, his awakening, this is how he chose to practice. And, you know, hearing the map, it's going to expose all of our, um, you know, habits that we have around systems and maps and being told what to do and all that. Like, So we'll just be aware of any pushback you're noticing as I move through these 16 steps. But the idea is to to sort of open with enough integrity and curiosity about the map, learn it, even on this sort of basic intellectual level, so that you can begin to sort of map it on to your actual experience. And it's not like the Buddha would suggest that we keep going in a linear way through the 16 steps. Maybe once a week, you might take the first part of a set and just move through the map just to remind yourself what the Buddha might be pointing to with each of these instructions. And then just see where your mind's at and work wherever your mind's at. right? Instead of imposing the map on your experience, the map is used to help you connect actually with the way the heart is that at that time when you're sitting or out doing your life, in your daily life. So before I kind of review where we've been, maybe we'll take a couple minutes at least, and just see if there are any specific questions about, so we did the first nine instructions this morning, a little bit more than halfway, right? And remember that the instructions are organized in sets of four, first four mostly uh, about the experience of embodiment, the body, the next four mostly about mental activity, the next four mostly about the nature of the mind, And the last four, the nature, the conditional nature of awakening, the process of awakening itself. So that's how it works, just to give you a broad outline. But first, any specific questions about the instructions? Yeah, Anne, you want to start us off? Straight back here. Hi. um, I have a question about um, awareness of the whole body. So when I'm doing it, I'm kind of somehow... First, I sort of have an outline of my body, so I know that there is a body. And then I'm kind of just feeling, again, the whole thing, like you have said, like an orchestra, and trying not to be too specific about this and that. Um, This is after having a conversation with you from a long time ago. And then, you know, if things happen, like a tingly arm or whatever, I do notice it a little bit try not to give even that too much attention and kind of just keep back to this whole body. But um, it would be great if you could kind of, it seems kind of hard to grasp a little bit, this whole body. So if if there's any more details you can give to that, that would be great. Yeah, and it's important because there's so many different techniques around these days and a lot of meditation techniques that are not in this kind of lineage would be more around healing 
and moving energy to allow for a deeper release in the body. Here, in this way of practicing, that might happen as a secondary effect, but we don't have that agenda. The agenda is simply to experience. It's like a beautiful healing yes to the whole body. The body's imperfect. The body has sensation. You know, it's never going to be perfect, but we're saying yes, because what can be readily perfect in the direction of perfect is how the mind is relating to the body. So the body might be a mess. You might have cancer. You might have some old bike injury. You might have this. You might have that. But the heart, the wise and kind heart can say, yeah, this is how it is. This is the body in this moment breathing in. This is the way the body is breathing out. So when we have that, and you'll notice those sort of impulses to the mind, the attention and the mind wanting to fixate on a particular tension where there's pain, a particular injury, a particular whatever in the body. But then we'll notice that and note that's not what we're doing now. We're experiencing the whole body. It's a particular instruction. And what we're checking out is, does uh, aligning our practice, the way our mind is showing up in the moment, with these set of instructions, which are just instructions about what to pay attention to, what's the effect? Is it a healing, liberating effect to pay attention in the way the Buddha is recommending? And if we find that it really helps, then we should develop it, right? And that's what we're doing. There's a very partic- This is a very particular sequence. And we don't want to get in the weeds, in the healing weeds, you can do that at another set, another time, right? Where you're really working with what's going on in your body. And, you know, there are any number of modalities of working with other people where you're bringing awareness in the body. You know, a lot of the healing arts, whether they're coming out of Chinese medicine or any number of these ancient systems, are really about bringing awareness to different places in the body that allows energy to move more freely, less obstructed, right? But that's not what we're doing here. That may happen. We might experience a lot of releasing in the body precisely because we're not trying to fix it. Because we're not trying to fix the body. We're attempting to experience the body, the wholeness of the body, completeness, fullness of the body. So what we're really healing in these first four steps is how the mind is relating to the body. Am I relating to my body as a burden? You know, the ball and chain? You know, oh God, I got this aging body. You know, and I got to deal with it. Well, then we're not doing this, right? Because we're really healing that relationship. So that's why the fourth instruction, the culmination of this first set of four training which is really the mind, experiencing the mind that's secluded, that's retreated from being neurotic around our primary relationship, the mind relating to the body. That's our number one relationship. More than your cat, your dog, your partner, whatever, your cell phone, (laughs) we relate to our body. It's just mostly unconscious how we're relating to the body. But we are definitely in a relationship with our body. It's just not a very pretty one most of the time, right? Because it's unconscious and neurotic. 
But now we're bringing it into light of day. And, right, so we've put down a lot of our neurotic business with the first two steps by simply paying attention to the physicality of breathing in and out with such fullness that everything else in the mind was up to had to be dropped because all I'm aware of is breathing in and breathing out. Things have settled down quite a bit. This is a, before we get to the third step, we've settled quite a bit, right? Now, that doesn't mean you did. It just means that's the idea because we're doing two things. You're trying to realize the completeness of each of these instructions, but you're also learning the whole map, right? Before we're ready to learn the whole map. But that's how it works, right? We get the general shape of the whole path, and then we develop the path, right? Because really understanding the first four steps requires that we get a general sense, intuitive sense of what the whole path is about. Yeah, thanks, Thank Anne. Yeah, please, Shannon, over here. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm Shannon. So I have a question. Um, <laughs> sort of um, the deeper that I sort of get into a lot of the Buddhist studies, it's like, for lack of better terminology, I mean, the dude love lists. I mean, he just is like lists, 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 and all his, you know, acolytes and all the, you know, 250, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And, I mean, I guess, like, I do. I mean, I had to laugh when you said that thing about like, okay, notice your relationship to systems and like lists and like whatever, you know, and especially like, I mean, I think as a woman too, like it just feels very male to me. Like, oh, like this, and you know, sort of like this like control sort of thing. And so, um, but then as a practitioner, you know, and actually, as you say, going through a lot of these steps, you know, I mean, the experience of going through those steps is really different than sort of the conceptual, you know, relationship that I, I have with them. But then again, I'm not going through like 250 of them. But um, so I just kind of wonder what your, what's your advice? Because I do, I have a visceral reaction, you know, even when I, if I come and I know like the Dharma talk is going to be about, you know, dukkha or like whatever, it's like, oh, you know, I'm much more like initially open. But it's like if I come and it's like, oh, we're going to go through the like, the steps of blah, 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 and blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God, not the steps, you know. And so it's like, even though I know, right, like right now we're having this conversation, it's really useful, but that's my, like, initial response. So I just wonder kind of what, yeah. yeah. Well, I think all the points you made are really good. I mean, part of it, the one thing you didn't say, it, it was an oral tradition, so I think part of the systematizing it made it a little bit easier for people to memorize. They didn't really write it down for a long time these instructions, and uh, so I think that's part of it. But part of it, too, is like notice when we have some time to sit. It's, uh, it's really easy for us, like the easiest thing for human beings is just to keep doing the same old thing. And so how do we interrupt that strong tendency well, we need, I mean, the basic movement is we get a little information from somebody that is trustworthy enough that we're going to do something with that information, like think about it, contemplate it, and see what it illuminates in terms of our own mind. And then if it really seems to sort of help how I am in my life, in my experience, then I'll kind of keep doing that more and more. 
And so that's what we're being invited to do. And I think there are different ways of presenting the teachings, right? So in, you know, in the course of what happens in the front of the room here over a period of time, if all we ever got were lists, that would be problematic because there are different minds in the room and some of that relates to gender and other factors, you know, um, about what kind of teaching and teacher is useful for you because there are different medicines that kind of meet us where we're at and are helpful for us where we're at in this moment. You know, we have 140, 130 different hearts in the room with different needs. And so it won't always line up. But as a student, you know, instead of thinking, always thinking, do I have the right teacher, the right teaching, it's like it might be more useful for us most of the time Am I the right student for this moment? Instead of do I have the right teacher or teaching for this moment? How can I be the right student? Because you have more control over that often than we do what teacher is showing up in our life. You know, because it's not just these sort of formal teachers or teachings. It's like circumstance, as you well know, can show up in our life. And that's our teacher. So how to be a student of the teacher that's showing up. So when you come to Kamagon and you're getting the lists, right, then how can I find some value in that? Can I? And if I can't, then just sit and meditate, right? And it's like instead of your own neurotic mind that being the thing you got to work with in your set, you have this external talking head that you get to practice <laughs> not being like and if aversion comes up or judgment comes up or whatever. I mean, I... I can't tell you how many times I've heard a lot of Dharma talks in my 37 years or so of practice. And uh, a lot of times I didn't like being there listening to the Dharma talk. I mean, a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good practice to sort of be there and experiences you don't where you don't want to be. Because it's so easy, like I was saying before, it's so easy to slide into the victim mentality of like, this isn't fair. And then, but to kind of own like, well, do I, even though this isn't good medicine for me as much as I can tell, do I have to be a suffering human being right now? Is there another way to be in this moment? So I've learned to meditate. And it's interesting, you know, when I'm up here and you'll see that, you know, sometimes it's like people aren't listening. (laughs) But it's really okay. Because they're doing their own thing, right? And that's each of our responsibilities. I mean, this is a big part of Buddhism, this movement towards independence and self-reliance. And the Dharma, when sometimes we use that word Dharma or Dhamma just to mean the teachings. And in a deeper sense, it's the way it is, not, not the kind of conceptual maps that we use. But uh, we're responsible for finding the medicine to find our way from contraction to release. And nobody can really ultimately, I mean, no one can do the work for us. And we have to sort of sense. And each moment of our life presents this sort of perfect opportunity to, you know, there are going to be some things triggering contraction. And the question is, are we going to take the bait or not? (laughs) 
<laughs> Mostly we take the bait. <laughs> but the suffering wakes us up, right? Then, then we realize, oh, I've taken the bait, and I've become a suffering human being, and I have some intuition that it doesn't have to be this way. So then we get interested, okay. Because we don't know how to like let go of the hook, but we can, just by being present, notice how it's getting worse, more contracted, or more released. Because just like going back to Shannon's point, we might be in a situation where we're hearing something that's not useful to us, but then we could just basically be digging our heels in, uh, becoming more and more the person who feels um, you know, insulted by what's going on in the space that I'm in. But we don't have to do that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Rosalie. Thank you for the teachings. Um, I liked having the map quite a bit. It um, did feel like a progression today, and uh, I like being required to go through joy because I'm kind of dour, and I'll tend to want to skip that one. And it's like, <laughs> you can do that. But I, I just a note that um, between the, forget the numbers, but when we got from dispassion of thinking or dispassion of mental formations and then into knowing, knowing, kind of felt like a bridge too far, and I had to, like, go back to dispassion of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's a safe space, and then <laughs> I found I could kind of move forward. So I, the map really worked for me today. Thank you. Yeah, and it is. That's a big step because just think about our, however long evolutionary process has been going on, it's like the part of taking birth in a body on this planet as an animal is that the consciousness, attention, really goes to things that are moving, right? Like when's the last time your mind was naturally interested in the space of this room? Not what's moving in the space, but that there is the space of the room, the space of the present moment. See, we're not interested in those things. We're interested in what's moving because what's moving might be something delicious to eat or something that might eat me, right? And the same thing with mental activity. We're interested in our thoughts and our imaginings, things that are in motion. So that between the first four, which is about uh, the healing of the way the mind is relating to the body, And the next is the way the mind is relating to mental activity. Now it's the way the mind is relating to the mind, the space of the mind, the space of knowing. Not what's being known, but that there's knowing. Right? And that's a big step. So it's almost like a background foreground because activities in the foreground, bodily activity, mental activity, But now things, the body's kind of relaxed because the mind's okay with it. The mental activity's beginning to calm down because the mind isn't feeding mental activity by reacting to it, one thought leading to the next. Everything's all, the activity's quieting down. And so the space of the present moment, the space of knowing, which is always there, right, it just all of a sudden is recognized, but it's subtle. And we're not used to noticing it. And it has kind of a cool flavor, cool in an existential, spiritual sense of not being familiar, right? Because the mind is 
been obsessed, attentive to movement. And so space feels not very personal. And so there can be a fear can come up. But that's okay. Just play at that edge, right? Go back. That's part of what we're learning is to kind of go back where the mind feels some competence and safety. But knowing the map, you can't really go back because you know there's more subtle or whatever you want to call it, um, things to open to, to get interested in. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, well, John, and then did you have someone? Yeah, come here then. So it's just a question about your last comment. You talked about the third group as being uh, how the mind relates to the mind. But you also said how mind relates to knowing, I thought. And, uh, the so my space quest- of the mind is sort of the space of knowing. I mean, you can think of it as the space of knowing because knowing isn't a thing. Knowing knows things, but you can't know knowing. It's like space. Mm-hmm. So I guess my, my, maybe I didn't ask the question right. Is 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 knowing is is the mind nothing but knowing? Well, wh- what's the point of that question? Because if I gave an answer, if the Buddha gave an answer, then it would be some, right? So the idea of paying attention in these ways isn't to kind of figure out what's true. It's to set in motion a very natural process of letting go, where the mind lets go of fixation, lets go of whatever it's holding. And so what's left is a mind not holding anything, not dependent on anything. So in Buddhism, we call that the unconditioned, right? So we're setting in motion a process of letting go. So I guess the question why I asked it was that when I say the mind, it it conjures up like a concrete kind of thing. But when I say knowing, it doesn't. Right. But whatever word you use, we want the words to point to our actual or to support the actual recognition of what's here, right? So what is like the space in which all of this is happening? We can train ourselves. It's subtle, but just like even in a visual sense, artists, uh, visual artists especially, you know, have to learn, like when people were here last week, the person who spoke last week, the co-founder of Common Ground and my spouse, she's a choreographer and... uh, you have to know, you have to train the mind to know the space of the stage as well as what's happening, the da- what the dancers are doing. But the space is important, like to develop that facility to remember space in which the activity is happening. And we can do that now. Like we could train our mind more, more and more to keep in mind that whatever's happening in this room is happening in the space of this room, the space of the present moment. And in that space, knowing is naturally illuminating activity. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. Over here. Hi, I'm Kit. Um, with these teachings in particular, over the past couple weeks, I've really struggled with sleepiness. Can you talk to that? Yeah, because the the nice thing about these teachings, it's a real integration of tranquility 
and wisdom or tranquility and insight practice. And that's really how the Buddha taught. A lot of times these days, uh, different schools of Buddhism have more of an inclination to separate practices that are more about tranquility and calming and practices that are more about investigation and deepening of understanding. But the 16 instructions around mindfulness of breathing are a really beautiful integration of tranquility and insight. And that's why all the way through, even as we're getting to the more subtle stuff, the mind is still aware of breathing in and breathing out. It's a little self-soothing going on, right? That ancient rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. So it's on the periphery after the second step, from the third step on, the rhythm of breathing is there, but it's not in the forefront of attention, but it's still there, right? And so there's a lot of soothing, a lot of tranquilizing going on with these instructions. And then uh, because of the rhythm of the breath and that we're still attending to it in the periphery, and you might even be using some words, some phrases that correspond to the step of like what the Buddha is suggesting we keep in mind so that we know like the different things to keep in mind. All of that structure tends to create a container for more tranquility as opposed to you know sitting uh, with the eyes open like outside, even in a relatively tranquil place, but whatever it is, it's like the buzz of life, both internal thoughts, memories, external mosquitoes, this and that, coming and going, sounds. It's sort of like just being in the wildness of sen- sensory impingement, stuff coming and going, is really uh, activates the alert, investigation, curiosity, how to be at ease with so much in motion, right? That's more the wisdom end of the practice. So what you might amp up with these 16 instructions, especially from the third instruction on, is like, what is the Buddha asking me to pay attention to? Okay, whole body. So really get curious about the completeness of that yes to the whole body. Really get curious about what calm feels like in the body and how it tends to spread. What is joy? You know, so that like that more from the place of information. Now Mark mentioned buoyant. He mentioned lightness. He mentioned flow, right? So like using those words to sort of help support the mind getting closer to what's actually happening in the heart and mind. That work will balance the tranquility that's there. I mean, I'm assuming you're getting enough sleep at night. So if it's not just that you're sleep deprived, then it's really about uh, amplifying the wisdom aspect, the energizing aspect of the practice, because you don't want to diminish the tranquilizing aspect. It's good to be tranquil. It just needs to be imbalanced. And they can get often out of balance where you have too much restlessness. I mean, you're really curious. You're really into it, but you're not feeling that settled. So then really maybe bring more attention to the breathing in, breathing out as a self-soothing, calming, tranquilizing effect on the mind <coughs> so that you're always keeping the two 
the energize or the tranquilizing on this side and the energizing in balance. Yeah, and the seven factors of awakening, which this practice really is sort of um, connected to, but we won't go into now. It's really about balancing the energizing and tranquilizing factors, wholesome factors of mind. Because that mind will naturally see what it isn't seeing. When a mind has a balance of tranquilizing and energizing factors, wholesome factors, alive, active, then that's a mind, by definition, that mind sees things clearly. And that means it sees what it hasn't seen because there's been an imbalance. Too much tranquility, too much activation, not enough balance. Maybe time for one more if there's anything else. Yeah, Ben. And we'll probably end with this. One question that comes up for me is when I'm on the instruction of following my breath, there's a lot of focus and control in my mind. And then when I come to instructions like experiencing joy, that doesn't work very well. How, how do you do you have any recommendations for how to approach that those contradictions that may come up? Yeah, yeah. The, don't underestimate the importance of the first two steps and the kind of creativity you'll need to bring. So that's why it's really important to understand what the first two steps are about. It's about um, my this heart, this mind's willingness to drop everything, and to pay attention to something ordinary. And we're using, conveniently, the physical activity of breathing in and breathing out. But there could be any number of things that someone could use. But one way or another, we're abandoning everything. So even our identity is temporarily put down. Like if you're a mother, that identity of being a mother of a child is being abandoned because if that identity is existing in the mind, that means you're paying attention to it. So all those things fall way into the background precisely because the mind is bringing that full attention to some relatively neutral object of awareness, or body, in this case, the physicality of touch at the nostrils or the physicality of rising and falling or wherever, however you feel the physicality of the breath. But remember, we're just using the breath here because it's part of these instructions. But it doesn't really matter what you do. You can use hearing. But can we train the mind to bring a full attention to some aspect of the present moment and to use that as a way of abandoning everything else? And then the, the mind learns how to inhabit that space where it's not, it's, you could call it the wilderness of the present moment, the aliveness of the present moment, right? Because it's less involved with its thoughts about this and that. They're still hovering there, sometimes sweeping in, dominating the mind, then being released, and the present moment, ordinariness of the present moment comes back into the foreground. So one... One thing is just to initially get interested, like, wow, isn't it interesting? It is. Isn't it interesting how difficult it is for this mind, just for one half breath in or one half breath out, to be completely with the physicality of breathing out without any wavering, and then to do it again, and then to 
Like, why is that so hard? What is so important about my thoughts about this and that? They're not that important. So really get interested in how difficult that is. And train everywhere. When you're washing dishes, try to be completely there. When you're walking from here to there, try to be completely there. So you're really getting that little moments of exclusive attention to what you're, what's up, what's happening in that moment. Little moments of absorption. So what we're doing with the first two, it's really an absorption in what's ordinary. And the reason it's so profound, it means our mind is, has to let go of everything else for a moment or for some moments. Yeah. Thanks for all the great questions, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.